Up next, Saturday evening post writer Troy Brownfield returns to the hit creative zombie network program Cult Cinema Cavalcade to take part in a debate over the merits of Rambo First Blood Part 2 versus Commando. Welcome to Cult Cinema Cavalcade. The episode you are listening to will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language. This is Cult Cinema Cavalcade. This is episode 115. This is Brandon, and as always with me is my badass in crime partner, Colin. Your co-host, Colin. We go talk about explosions. Boom. <laughs> Today, we are here to bring back our Versus series. Uh, this is the, the whopping third one in um, oh, about five years. Uh, with uh, <laughs> every five years, we'll every see. five, you know, we had to a hot start. We had uh, <clears throat> Superman three versus Superman four, and then we even did Star Trek: The Motion Picture versus Star Trek five: The Final Frontier twice. It was so exciting. Um, yeah, I, I, one I, was heard by everyone. One uh, is lost to the ages. <laughs> yes, uh, I had someone say, "Hey." Uh, Star Trek the Motion Pictures and uh, going to be on a, in theaters here for for a night. You want to go? Like, well, you can do that by yourself. <laughs> I, I'm not doing that again. And I'm not going to pay someone to do it. <laughs> Is it the director's cut? Doesn't uh, matter. No. no, and then no. Um, the uh, director's cut is actually not longer. It's a tighter version of the film that attempts to uh, bump up the pacing, but it's still. Uh, very slow. But we're here, so I guess we will bring out our guest right away here. We have from the Saturday Evening Post a recurring, uh, I was going to say face, but voice on our show, <laughs> Troy Brownfield. Let us embrace the Luciferian impulse to eat of the tree of knowledge. Hello. Hello, Troy. How have you been? Oh, I'm fine. I can't wait till we start talking about these movies. And instead of both of these, I'm just going to talk about Barbarian Queens. You guys didn't have me on for that episode. Oh, hey, so. <laughs> we we've made it up. We've got muscular and shirtless for you. Right. <laughs> Lots of sweat, long hair. Here's the thing. Here's yeah, the I, thing. Here's the thing. Uh, most people just have to watch a movie, and it's not usually very good. You got to watch two awesome movies. Yes. Yeah. So we've, <laughs> Troy, we've, you have, we have watched you grow here on Cult Cinema Cavalcade from, from a, a fake news program with commercials off TV to a TV special to a real TV movie to a John Carpenter movie and now to A Grade Pictures. <laughs> yeah, <no> shit. <laughs> That's right. It keeps getting better for you. Yeah, and and uh, we we've had to put Satan on the shelf for now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, it's no. This is definitely different. I appreciate being asked to join the series of verses <laughs> broadcast. <laughs> yes. Um. So what you've been up to, Troy? Um, Saturday evening post, of course, uh, going good. Um, you also have. I meant to write it down, but uh, the the action figure place you write for, gosh. Yeah, graphic policy. Graphic policy, yes. It was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, they're a comic news, et cetera, site, and I write the uh, super articulate figure column there. And 
of course, the uh, Spark Shooter webcomic. I did finish the uh, short story collection I've been working on in my uh, test three meters. Have looked at that, which I believe you know. And I do. Um, I've got uh, somebody working on the cover for that right now. Um, I'm still planning on doing that as an Amazon release in the near future. So I will let everybody know when that happens. And um, I went right from that into working on the new novel project. And that's going to be a while. I'm about 18,000 words into the draft right now, but that's going to be, it's going to be a long time <laughs> until that's done. Gotcha. Well, your short story collection is quite fun. I had, a, I enjoyed going through that. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for saying that in a public forum. I appreciate it. <laughs> you are recorded, but can't be undone. That's right. Get it. You, you said you had backups. <laughs> It'll be just a long bleep. Oh, nice. Yeah, they, uh, they'll just think I'm swearing. They've heard me on the show before. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my God, why do you say that they had to bleep it out? Why did they make the Rambo and Commando episode the most G-rated thing they've produced? <laughs> <laughs> so then he takes the arrow and... And, yeah. Basically, uh, we have a tie-in. You know, uh, Rambo is coming to its the series is coming to its conclusion with the Rambo Last Blood hitting theaters. It'll have been out by the time this releases. But Stallone, who is a uh, no stranger to this show, but maybe finally getting a fair shake uh, <laughs> after uh, showing up with Rhinestone and <sighs> Rachel. Oscar. Uh, and you guys, so at the end of last episode, do you do you remember when I said we hadn't done an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie before? That doesn't feel right. I lied. <laughs> we had done End of Days. I, w- yes. I couldn't I was recording the outro and I just I was like I think we did that, but I just said it anyway. Correction. Uh, sometimes sometimes we make mistakes. And uh, re-record them and put them out there. Nobody came at me with it, so I guess we don't have a good listenership uh, or an attentive one. But yeah, so fuck you guys. That's what I guess we're saying. Yeah, we had done end of days, and Arnold as well has Terminator: Dark Fate coming out in just a couple months. So why not square them off here in the middle of things? Yeah, I take it this isn't everybody's first. Rodeo, oh, no. or even every second or third with both of these movies. Oh no! I, no. I own every Rambo movie. That is a fact. They were, <laughs> they are in my home, and I hope they always will be. First Blood Part Two, I believe, is the first R-rated movie I saw in the theater. Oh, nice! I the first R, the, I know with perfect clarity, the first R-rated movie I saw on like cable or whatever, like you know Showtime or HBO, where it was the full of color of the Dragon. I I distinctly remember going to the movie theater with my dad to see First Blood Part 2. Nice. Okay, and that's where we'll start. We're going to start with First Blood Part 2 because uh, it opened first in May of 1985. Rambo John Jay, born 7647, joined the Army 8664, accepted Special Forces specialization, 59 confirmed kills, two silver stars, four bronze, four purple hearts, distinguished service cross, and medal of honor. What his committee needs is conclusive proof that Americans are being held. You're to confirm their presence by taking photographs. Under no circumstances are you to engage the enemy. Do we get the win this time? This time it's up to you. Uh, the film's directed by George P. Cosmatos, uh, who has a lifetime pass for me because the film he does after this is Cobra! 
Oh my god. So he's, he's there as well. Coming soon to a streaming service near you. Exactly. Oh my god, yeah. Uh it was written by Sylvester Stallone with James Cameron on uh, stars Sylvester Stallone, Richard Crenna, Charles Napier, Julia Nixon, Stephen Burkoff, and Martin Cove of the <laughs> Karate Kid fame. <laughs> Sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. That asshole is also an asshole in this. But this one features uh, Rambo three years into a five-year prison sentence where he just uh, bangs on rocks for a living. That's what I was wondering. Like, what are they? Like, this certainly isn't how we get gravel, is it? This doesn't seem appropriate for anyone. Uh, Yes. Troutman, uh, his old buddy, visits him and has a, a way to pardon him and get him Get him out of that uh, by meeting up with a guy named Murdoch, which I don't know. I don't know if there's many good guys named Murdoch around, but it's uh, played by Charles Napier, who offers Rambo a little reconnaissance mission to check out a Vietnamese base in which there could be POWs still there from the Vietnam War. Uh, that's all Rambo's supposed to do. He's not supposed to engage. He goes, he meets with his contact. They go to the base and find that there are POWs still there. Rambo decides to release one of them that's like crucified outside or being used like a scarecrow or some shit. And he, they're caught in the act. The, the boat turns them in that their traitors are. Uh, and then he's even turned on by his own people, the U.S. government, as uh, they actually didn't want him to find any POWs. They just wanted a cause for them to uh, attack or close the book on the Vietnam War. But we also find the Vietnamese are being trained and stuff by, guess who, 80s pop culture villains, the Russians. And uh, There are so Rambo... two kinds of communists in this movie. Right. <laughs> Rambo... Rambo uh, is captured, uh, tortured again, and is able to uh, be a one-man wrecking crew as he escapes and takes it out on the Vietnamese and the Russians and also then kind of in his own way gives the middle finger to the U.S. government before walking on his own to leave. He wants to live day by day. Oh, dear Lord, these things Rambo prays. As uh, uh, the film closes, so this movie was a massive, massive hit in the United States and the world. It, it was a cultural movement too, not for just the the action movie genre turns a corner here, as well as uh, the nation. Ronald Reagan adapted Rambo was like, I mean, you, everybody knows who the fuck Rambo is because of not so much, not really First Blood, but because of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a picture of like America. It was almost like this movie caused us to feel like we took it back from the Vietnamese, right? Like that was what the feeling in America was. Like we we did it. We closed the book of the Vietnam War because <laughs> we made a fictional movie where one of our guys goes and fucks him up, and the Russians got it too. It was a big thing. Yeah, yeah. It it is. There are times where it is. Uh, nearing over the top as an F you to communism sometimes. It's saying like, hey, you know, like if we'd played by Rambo's rules, everything would have been all right. Like the, and that's well, the point of one of the things that turns the corner with the eighties action. This is where the hero is the guy that says fuck you and doesn't follow the rules. Not that dirty Harry or people didn't do that, but this was in a bigger stage of going on your own. Right. It, Dirty Harry had the distinction like in the first movie of being kind of like guy versus guy. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that the system got in his way was kind of incidental, you know, but there's the famous scene where he's standing on the guy's leg and torturing him in Dirty Harry. And that, that's like, oh, Dirty Harry's going so far. And then in Magnum Force, like bad guys were 
cops. You know, it was like a whole different. Well, yeah, it turned it on its head. It, it turned. It gave like dirty. It, I love the d- dynamic between Dirty Harry and Magnum Force. Not to get too off topic, because the first one shows the cop gone over the edge, you know, pushing things too far, and then the next one he has to deal with a generation he inspired, realizing, oh shit, maybe. I wasn't yeah. so right in what I was doing, and he has to go fight multiple versions of himself. And it's it's a great way to turn its head. Like I think that's a great, you know, first movie and sequel talking to each other. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too. Like when you mentioned that, because the Rambo didn't just happen. You know, they kind of got built up to because what Uncommon Valor is eighty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Missing in Action is eighty four. So like over a period of a couple of years. Because you had, like, in the 70s, these Vietnam movies that were, like, these well-considered Vietnam movies, like Deer Hunter and Coming Home and then Apocalypse Now. And then they start weirdly becoming action movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is interesting that, like, um, like with both Rambo, like, each one of these kind of, like, is, like, culturally reflective of the time. Like, the first one is about the vets, like, coming back and, you know, how they're treated. And this one is about, like, you know, you see, like, closing the book on Vietnam and, like, fuck you, communism. And the third one has to do with the Taliban. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, just, where we, just where we are socially at the time. It's an interesting mirror, like, whether it's intentional or not. Like, even, like, the ones that are are, are coming up, you know, they, they still do that. I mean, I don't think it's, like, to, to the degree that these early ones did, but I still think they do that. The first Rambo, I mean, everybody, when they think of Rambo, they think of this movie, and then a lot of people get shocked when they watch the first one and see what a, I mean, the first one's still an action movie, but it's a bit more personal drama-ish mm-hmm. than, than than you'd be expecting, and it's a lot, it's very surprising what it is. It's like Rambo versus, like, a cop, like, cops, and mm. I, I don't think that's what people expect going into Rambo, and the fact that in the first one, he doesn't kill anybody in the first one. They change that. The book mm-hmm. he does, but he kills, like, an entire town, but, like, in the movie, they make the choice not to, and the only death in the movie is incidental. He doesn't... It's caused by them chasing him, but he doesn't kill the guy. A guy falls out of a helicopter right. that's chasing him, and they make a personal choice, like, not to do that, and here's, like, okay, now Rambo kills motherfuckers. Like, that's... Right, and you get the sense too that's kind of interesting about Stallone because I think of First Blood kind of in that same context as as Rocky. Mm-hmm. Like he starts these series with like these deeply introspective kind of character studies, and then they just go crazy. Yeah, over the top. Yeah, as they go further, like one Rocky one and two, like two. I think people are surprised by how much of that movie is a dramatic film with. Mm-hmm. You know, Adrian having the baby and everything, getting to the fight with Apollo that he finally wins. And then three is much more of an 80s movie with Mr. T. And like three and four have like large portions that play like music videos. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, but it's very different. And, you know, it takes until like Creed for him to turn it around and go back to like being a drama. <laughs> well, I mean, Rocky Balboa was a drama. Yeah. He tried. He tried ride with the fifth one like it's hearts there but it just doesn't work out like he he wants to take it all back to the the streets of philly make it a drama again and it's just he's got too much of that three and four infused into it but i mean the idea his idea is in the right place for the fifth one it just doesn't turn out well he does it much better in creed is where it works out but well he i mean he didn't do i mean kugler wrote creed right Um, kugler but yeah but but it's it's interesting that he's that with you know with Last Blood he's kind of doing the same thing yeah where he's kind of I, I get the Clint Eastwood vibe 
from the trailer for the new movie. It's like, oh, it's the Unforgiven. Grand Torino. Was, yeah. yeah, Man on Fire, Unforgiven. Yeah. You know, take your pick, older dude action movies. <laughs> right. It's yeah, a I very mean, particular yeah. set of skills. <laughs> Do I get a win this time? Yeah. yeah. When this one takes its, I mean, it's not pump out action right away. It's a very covert movie until until like a midpoint and the biggest action moment is he gets stuck jumping out of a, a skydiving off the the plane his chute gets stuck and he's without weapons but up until and then after that it's just a lot of traveling some drama um there's a little escape and then it's till he gets captured and and breaks out of there that it becomes the full action movie I, I do think it's important that we mentioned that Rambo First Blood Part Two is the advent of the survival knife into eighties yeah. culture. Yeah. The survival knife with the compass in the in the pommel. I mean that that was a thing that many, many, many people, including this one, owned in the wake. <laughs> we'll see it in commando too. Mm-hmm. Right after. But yeah, he I yeah, it's all survival. It's Stallone against an army and he i mean he has he has his partner co um with him that she's i mean she helps him escape without her the escape's not too bad but she's kind of incidental and uh the minute there's any sort of connection she's offed as to just infuriate him more yeah that that part does um make me tear up a little bit because here's rambo who is his whole life let's just say hasn't been great to him okay and then he finally gets a moment where it's like, oh, maybe I can have a moment of joy in my life. And it's like, okay, well, all right, for the first time, and I don't know how long I can look towards my future. And then it's immediately just gone. Immediately. Yeah. And that was like, God, just give this fucking guy a break. For goodness right. sakes. That plays very definitely in that like 70s, 80s tradition of introduce a love interest so they can die. To give the guy a reason to go ape shit. Oh, yeah. That's why I think X Men Origins Wolverine's like the ultimate canon film with a uh, mutant <laughs> because that's what I mean. That's what the setup for that movie, and you even have the the screaming with her dead in the arms as the camera pans up to the sky. No scene in that. Mm-hmm. I have a thought on this movie that I don't know. I'll share it with you guys. That I, I recently thought I'm like I feel like First Blood Part Two, and with the the way it was taken afterwards and used was like the born in the USA of films. That is an excellent analogy for people that understand that. That is well, well done. The politics here aren't necessarily, they're mostly neutral. I would say at most they don't they, but if you look at things in this movie, the U S government is as much a villain of this story as you know the russians are there with the vietnamese by consequences they're their side they're they're just the other side of the war but who's really causing shit for rambo and not doing the help is the u.s government in the Mm -hmm. reagan era well into the reagan era and rambo's like fuck you at the end of it what's nothing to do with it the government just betrayed him disappointed him and the government he didn't like from the first movie was either nixon or or lyndon b johnson's that came about but all the rambo the first three rambo movies take place during the reagan administration and the first year of like george bush Mm -hmm. senior 
And and but these are the people. That's the side that took it as the rah rah rah. <laughs> yeah. America. The whole, the whole point, uh, like Rambo even says it in this movie. I just wish my country would love me as much as I love it. Right. You, you kind of get the feeling that that side doesn't really understand context and nuance. No. Yeah. But I'm just like, yeah, because that's what reminded me of, like, born in the and 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 Springsteen was like. Hell, if I'm gonna, you know, I'll get rich off them not understanding my song, sure. And Stallone, I mean, he he played into this, but of course, why not? You're it puts him on the mega, you know, huge star on the map. He's just a movie maker, and this ushered in, helped usher in the big, powerful, strong action man '80s, where a you know guy could do it. And man, explosions, explosions, explosions. And like Cullen and I like to point out when we talk about these, those are real. <laughs> Oh yeah, and probably it could be fifth or sixth takes. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, and what's kind of interesting, yeah, like we all joke now, and it's been joked to death. The the walking away from the explosion, yeah, shot. Uh, First Blood Part Two has an excellent Rambo running away from the falling bomb mm-hmm. scene. Yep. Yeah, like the bomb is gonna hit, yeah. and it's like he he's running like hell because he knows he has a certain distance to across to escape the blast radius of the bomb. And they that's shot incredibly well. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just like, it's so great. Like, he looks up and sees that helicopter dropping that, I don't know, napalm, whatever that is. And like, yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but when I saw that, like, are you serious? Like, how much more? <laughs> like, this is bordering on, like, evil dead level of ridiculousness that he has yeah. to dodge. Oh yeah, and uh, this also too. Th- like he does the hiding in the mud. Oh my kill. god, that's amazing! I, that's fantastic. Yeah, Predator would use not too much longer uh, after, and then uh, the rocket launcher as a a big weapon mm-hmm. in uh, in play. Like that's a that's a big. It it really there there were two things that popularized the RPG as pop culture staples. One was the GI Joe comic book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, definitely. And and one was Rambo, and like after that, you started seeing it in like other movies and in video games and things like that, and it became a staple. Hell, the Rambo action figure came with the RPG that launched on a string. That's a, the funniest thing. This is a hard R movie, and we got action figures and a cartoon series to spin off of it, as well as an NES game. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it it's. It's crazy. The the hard R eighties was oh. sold as much to kids as as you could. I mean, well, we you, all you, Fre- Freddy and Jason. <laughs> we you, we play oh, the video games. We could. It's weird. Well, there, you know what? The, like the kids love dramas about uh, war veterans. That's right. what kids love more than anything. It resonates well, I mean, with I, them. I think they're it? just like let's let's try to get some of that GI Joe populace with our. With our Rambo character, Let's see if we can recreate that. That might—that's the only thing I can think of. I want, I, but I want them to make it off of first, uh, first blood, where it's just yep. a quiet war. It's just a guy just, in the woods ev- fighting Brian Dennehy. Every every episode, he goes to a new town that just doesn't respect him. <laughs> every new town is a fat. And it starts a, again. As a fat sheriff, it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna drive you out of here, and they just get fatter in every episode. <laughs> Yeah, Brian Dennehy, veteran of the Korean War. What were you? What were you in the war, sir? <laughs> he was a jerk, is what he was. He was a boat. Uh, for, yeah, First Blood Part Two. It's just 
it's has you know if the first one was more drama than it was action this one changes the ratios to favor the action it's still i mean still has the emotion i think it's part you know stallone isn't a bad actor when he knows his range and stuff and i think he pulled i mean his rambo character is easy to feel for like he's he can play this well now you, we've we've talked here before like he thinks he can do comedy and he just he can't but but when he can he can he can do drama oh, absolutely. and you know he can do he can do the action hero thing quite well um you can do misery but, and vengeance very very yes. well and that's what rambo is well it's funny that you say that because stallone is the only out and out serious actor in guardians of the galaxy volume 2 right Everyone else around him is being, you know, Marvel slash Guardians characters. And when he shows up, he's very serious. He's got a very serious scene mm-hmm. with Rooker. And then when they have the, the Ravager funeral at the end, yeah. and, you know, Michael Rosenbaum as Martin X says, he didn't let us down, did he? And he says, no, he did not. You know, he, he's got weight oh, yeah. in that film. And it's funny because when he shows up, my kids are like, Rocky? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> showing up and it's like well he's there as kind of the lineage of these kind of action heroes also we have tango and cash in the guardians movie which is awesome but <laughs> but but he is he is that capable of that serious action that we kind of underestimate because he played dumb guys or rage fueled guys and whatever so well for so long that people kind of wrote him off like that and forgot that he wrote and produced and did all this stuff. And he's a movie geek. You could have the geekiest mm-hmm. movie conversation with the guy. He knows technique. He knows like people forget that. Like they just these muscles. They think he. A lot of people and it's because of you know think he is just Rocky. Like that's part of been part of his career is like they just think he's that guy and he's no, like he writes a lot, a lot of the movies he's in like a yeah. lot of the, like the the best movies he's in he usually is the writer of them yeah right and in a minute you know let's take a minute to just appreciate that he co-wrote this with James Cameron yeah <laughs> no shit yeah yeah this is no coincidence Cameron. that it rules right. Yeah. Yeah, and he needed this too. I mean, his two movies before this was the uh, he directed Staying Alive and then Rhinestone was right before this. Oh my god. Like this was this could have dropped him into depths, but this kept him this I mean, he goes good till off this. I mean, he's a marquee man till the millennium hits. Now, I'm I'm just going to guess that he did not r- write Rhinestone. I don't remember who did, but no, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Stallone. No, it was not. Well, uh, on the on the Cameron tip for just a minute, consider well within this bandwidth 83 to 84. This is when Cameron writes and directs Terminator. Mm-hmm. Then he co-writes this. Then he goes from this to Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> like talk about a hot streak. Yeah. yeah, and he doesn't let up. But from there, like, I mean, what, like, <clears throat> what's the, the abyss is after that? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think the abyss is still cool. <laughs> oh yeah, I like the abyss. Yeah. I think it's it takes uh, unfair beating because you know people wanted it to be a lot of different things that it wasn't. Yeah, but I think it's a really cool visionary movie. Mm-hmm. And then he makes Terminator Two after that. So. <laughs> right. You know what the abyss needed. Rambo. Rambo, yep. 
How awesome would that be? Kill these water people. <laughs> now, now, he'd listen to the water people. He'd bond with them. Everyone else would be trying to kill him. He'd be like, no, no, no. And then there'd be some kind of fight. And he'd be in the, I don't know. It'd be awesome is the point. Yeah, he would He would have had the fist fight with Michael Bean's character instead of Ed Harris. Was it? Oh, what if he had a water fight? <laughs> like a punching fight. Oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, yep. Things that we missed. Um, but no, it's 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 really interesting to look back at this because like when when um, Brandon first talked to me about doing this episode, I'm like, man, I just watched First Blood, yeah, you know, part two like a month ago. <laughs> oh yeah. So like how how prophetic, but I was kind of marveling at how much of it held up was the thing that like independent of watching it for the show, I was like, wow, you know, it's really well made. Yeah. No, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's receded in memory because of kind of the political associations and other stuff people put on it, like Brandon was talking about, and you had all these other action movies that kind of followed it. But, you know, if you can look at it and think, holy crap, look at when they made this. Look at these practical effects. Mm-hmm. Look at everything that Stallone's doing. Look at how hard this cat's working. <laughs> yeah. And same thing with First Blood, the original, too. I was we did I did a commentary on it last week. And I was just marveling. I'm like, man, they've getting they're getting really good coverage in this movie, especially in the like mountainous region that mm-hmm. they're shooting. I'm like, that's not easy to get a camera in there or a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, this is pre-drone. Yeah. I was just amazed at the, just the the shoot. I mean, the way they were able to get the action across. I mean, there's an awesome motorcycle chase in that movie, and this one just ups it. Yeah, it's. It's crazy. I mean, this is kind of the... I can see this being the alien-aliens debate of, like, which one you like better because mm-hmm. they both kind of... They fall into that, and, I and you know, yeah. more power to you, whichever one takes the cake. Like, it's it's a good one-two. Yeah, both are dramatic, but one has definitely more action in it. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And what's really great about this one is, like, you understand the motivation of every character in the movie... And mm-hmm. you understand, like, every beat of the movie. There's never a time where you're lost. There's never, like, a... Like, a, like there are, like, you know, we're on this show. Uh, you know, the movies we watch, I am looking for cracks in the movie. There are not a lot of cracks in this movie. I'm not sure if there are, except for um the uh, the context, like, uh, Asian accent. I think it was just more broken English than any kind of accent. Whatever. The rest of the movie is awesome. That's about the only thing I can think of where it's, like... That's like the weak point. Like she was a great actress. It's just that accent. Like, mm-hmm. what is that? But seriously, the rest of the movie, like, I really can't think of much where it's like this. I don't know if this could have been done better. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, you guys mentioned Martin Cove toward the beginning, and I kind of wanted to uh, put a spotlight on Cove for a second. Uh, something that's interesting about him, you know, he was in, like you said, I mean, he was in Karate Kid, obviously, like right before this. But while this was happening. He was a regular on Cagney and Lacey. Mm. Yeah. He was... racist on Cagney and Lacey. A bit. Uh, he had to be. I mean, look at him. There there were two male cops. I think Carl Lumley played the other one. But they were partners. And they, like, Cagney and Lacey worked with him. And, like, they that was in opposition sometimes to, you know, the the characters. They they weren't, like, consciously, you know, not always. But you, you know what I mean. That That had to be part of it because of the the context of the show but at the time there was that whole big stigma of tv actors were in the movies and movie yeah. actors that 
TV. But this mm-hmm. guy was a regular on a very high-rated, very popular show. And he just kept popping over, playing villains and stuff in movies. And then he started playing good guys in these low-budget action movies. But he just kept making the show. <laughs> 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 and so it was it was weird because you know he's here's a guy that you know people would see and identify as a character type but they were also seeing this guy in a very popular show week after week on television um i just think it's interesting that he shows up when in, i in think of, when i think of martin cove one thing comes to mind paradigm breaker <laughs> <laughs> John, I'll be ready, John. You're a funny guy, Sully. I like you. That's why I'm going to kill you last. Because the Green Beret's going to kick your big ass. I eat Green Berets for breakfast. But Sally, when I promised to kill you last... That's what I made you... You did! I lied. 1985 as well. Uh, this one opened October 4th. 1985, uh, directed by Mark Lester, who this is uh, the second film we've done from him uh, previously. Uh, Roller Boogie, uh, we had done. Lester. <laughs> very, very different film. Very different film. You guys have never done that class in 1984? No, we haven't done that yet. I, it's on the list. It's on the list. It's all uh, written by a, a hell of a trio of Jeff Loeb, Stephen Ide Souza, uh, and Matthew Wiseman. Uh, stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Alyssa Milano, David Patrick Kelly, David Dan Hadaya, Bill Duke, Ray Don Chong, and Vernon Wells. Uh, the movie Commando revolves around a retired United States Special Force Colonel, John Matrix, who finds out his uh, Special Forces team um, was uh, killed, but um, except one faked it or whatever because there's a bunch of bad guys who come after him they raid his home kidnap his daughter uh and are gonna force him to do some bad shit for him uh for them but he turns on them and becomes a one-man vengeance crew to go back and get his daughter uh which he accomplishes so i mean not a lot to commando i went through it pretty fast right what it is it's it's Arnold. 90 tight minutes of Arnold. 90 tight minutes of Arnold. He, yes. Uh, he was coming off the Terminator with this one, which kind of was a different thing because he had done two Conans uh, before that. And people, I don't know if they thought much of him in terms of acting, but Terminator kind of got like even more attention. And this was his first kickoff of can he really lead a big movie? And it did, because uh, the next year he gets Raw Deal, and he goes on uh, just an incredible run of big... Yeah. He, he yeah. was the summer blockbuster himself after this. I mean, shortly after yeah. this. Like, he... I like to talk about, you know, today's franchise, IP, stuff like that. Arnold was one of the guys, along with Stallone and Van Damme and Seagal and stuff, at this time, they were the franchise. Like, they made, they had their yeah. own franchises with sequels, but, like, something like Eraser was, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger 10, you know? Like, that was how you yeah, presented this was, it. this was the first movie where Schwarzenegger was billed above the name of the movie. Yeah. Like, on the poster, was yeah. Schwarzenegger was above the name. Yeah. They had names in their <laughs> movies, but you just, it was Arnold, you know? Like... <laughs> Well, yeah. okay, we 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 do, 
we do need to talk about the name in this movie. I mean, John Colonel Matrix. John Matrix. Every part, like, Colonel, great, John, okay, Matrix, what? <laughs> yeah. What? What is the ethnic derivation of Matrix? Matrix! He's Greek, he... I guess. <laughs> Was he born in, in a computer? Why is his last name Matrix? I, I think in the movie they try to hint that he's German, but I'm like, I don't think Matrix is a very German Matrix. name. You know, it's in a, you know it's in a lot of German words. The letter X. Yeah. Why is yeah. Matrix? I mean, they should have like. Even, you know what I think's funny is like I love uh, like Van Damme movies where his name was obviously something else in the script, and they tried to like change it to fit his accent, so he'd have some first name that was. Way too American mixed with some like slightly twang last name. <laughs> yeah. But they don't do that here. Yes. What? And, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, D'Souza and, and Jeff Loeb and everything. Yep. The name that I'm certain came from Jeff Loeb is in the script is General Kirby. Yeah. I mean, that right. absolutely Kirby is Jeff Loeb because he, he references Kirby in like mm -hmm. everything he does. And uh, the Heroes TV series, the big fight in the season finale takes mm -hmm. place in Kirby Plaza. You know, I mean, obviously he's a comic guy, but well, yeah, Jack, Jack Kirby to reference Just all take a the look time. at all he's produced, and it's all comic stuff, television, uh, yeah. with his, his name on it. And also, that's like, a lot of what he's written for film and TV. When the guy's last name was Kirby, I felt like, what an adorable name. That's a little distracting. <laughs> his name is so adorable. <laughs> let, let's, not forget, let's not forget Jeff Loeb gave us Teen Wolf. Yeah. Oh. And Teen now, Wolf, too. I Jeff Jeff Loeb a long time ago about stuff, and you know we touched on Commando, and he talked about like there uh, there's a lot of perception that Commando was like as close as you were going to get to a superhero movie at the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They yes. regarded it as like a something of a comic book movie. Are you saying that Colonel John Matrix has superhuman abilities? <laughs> because yeah, he's super arm chopping off powers. He's he's introduced. His introduction, he hasn't said a word yeah. yet. We see him carrying an entire tree on his arm. Right. Carrying a tree. <laughs> Can I say something about that introduction? Like, right, right after yeah. the shadowy figure walks up and it's his daughter played by Alyssa Milano. Does it, yep. Is it just me or does it all of a sudden turn into, like, the intro for an 80s sitcom? <laughs> Like immediately, right. here they are chopping trees together. Here they are grocery shopping. Here they and and he's making the face. The the camera's doing the work like it, and it looks and the credits are playing during it too. Still, it just looks like an eighty well, sitcom it, intro. It's so funny. Like when the words commando come up on the screen, he's teaching Alyssa Milano. I don't know some kind of martial art, and it's like. The name Commando does not scream little girl does movements with her father. Like that just did not yep. seem fitting. Quick note. But I did love they, they loved they were feeding a deer. They were feeding a deer out of their hands. That's how this movie opens. <laughs> Colin, quick note before we uh we give keep getting into this. Uh Matthew Weissman, one of the screenwriters, also a producer on Firestorm. Oh my god. Oh, Jeff Loeb wrote that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the. Oh, that's right. You mean the, the closest thing to a nightmare that's ever been filmed Hall and released to the mass public? Right. The Howie Long firefighting movie. Yeah, Jeff Loeb wrote that. Oh gosh. Oh, it all comes. Oh, I'm, you said Firestorm. I was thinking of Fire in the Sky. No, Firestorm. I'm sorry. Firestorm. <laughs> Very different film. 
completely different films. Firestorm, no worries yeah. there. That's not a nightmare at all. It's a delightful film. Fire in the Sky is nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. And then D'Souza, of course, we've talked about him on the show before, but he's uh, done Die Hard I... and at 48 Hours. He's got quite a resume. Yeah stuff but uh back to commando so yeah the movie opens with bennett clearly getting killed in a boat Bennett, and this guy like <sighs> we're supposed to believe that him and arnold were like buds but you see him and you're like was this guy just not being himself around arnold their whole time or like there's did they date? Like, like, is that what the connection? Bennett's <laughs> of his life, like, on accident, like, he tied his shoe and then somehow, I don't know, tr- made a guy trip that was going to shoot Arnold. Like, why are they friends? Like, this guy, and he's not intimidating at all, right? I mean, let's look, look let's take a moment. We could do a whole show about Bennett if we wanted to. Let's be honest. This guy. Bennett looks like if Zangi from Street Fighter got a role in as an extra in cruising William Friedkin film <laughs> and that's two weeks in a row I've mentioned cruising but <laughs> come on also, it's it's like it's like, it's like oh you, you hired me for my muscles away like no no just just let them melt to mush that'd be fine are you sure like Arnold Schwarzenegger's a really ripped guy and he's in really great shape with huge muscles and it's like no 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 I want you to have pasty skin and just just all your strength just comes comes from you because you're heavy. That's where your strength comes from. You like chili dogs. Well, it's like the commando. They had a costume closet, and they let everybody just dress themselves, and everybody came out fine. And then him, they're like, well, we did let everybody else dress themselves, so maybe maybe him. We're kind of stuck. It's like, it's like, guys, what I was thinking for, for the look was out of shape Freddie Mercury. What do you think? <laughs> but, you know, he's not the worst because we get Dan Hedaya in, like, blackface in the movie. Yeah. yeah that's not great. Or it's it's kind of like – it's more like Latino face. It's not quite yeah. dark, but it's like – Latin uh, face. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, not – He didn't go yeah. to the tanning bed. That was the makeup guy. He didn't go to the tanning bed. Well, you know – Going back to Bennett for a second, you know that he played Wes in The Road Warrior. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes, he did. So he's got this history of, like, weirdly flamboyant villain. <laughs> right? Is it him? I don't know. Why Why does he keep getting cast in these roles? You think he's like, yes, I'm going to be in a Schwarzenegger movie. And then he saw the chainmail vest. He's like, well, it's a high-profile movie. Why not? Yep. <laughs> It's going to put me on the map. Um, so th- this movie, it really is just the essentials, I mean, for making something like this. The, the, I mean, there's nothing oh, yeah. deep here. It is pure adrenaline, yeah. pure A to B to C to D, and it's really fun throughout. Like, it, it moves. It's ba- The dialogue is based off one-liners pretty much, and Arnold, <laughs> and you know, is where we have – the last time we talk about a performance with Stallone, here we just have Arnold chewing scenery. And he's not the type of person you'd think would have that ability yet, but he's really just living it up. Right. It, you know, there, there's much made when, when Conan came out. Because, like, for, for listeners that weren't alive yet, Arnold was famous before Conan because he'd won Mr. Olympia seven times. Mm-hmm. He was in the Pumping Iron documentaries. People knew who Arnold was. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a pop culture figure because he was massive. He had a cameo in a Robert Altman film in the 70s called The Long Goodbye, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's that. in The Long Goodbye. Um, he was in The Villain. 
with uh, Kirk Douglas, the comedy. It's kind of like the human Roadrunner cowboy movie. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, he's Conan and becomes really, you know, well-known based on that. People understand how to say his name now. But Terminator kind of introduces and plays with Arnold's one-liners, like with the fuck you asshole mm-hmm. from the the menu screen and things, and I'll be back, of course. But, like, Commando uh, sets the template of Arnoldness. Yeah. The dispatching bad guys with the corny one-liner and all the stuff that goes through raw deal and the running man and all these movies after movies that he would he would just show up and be arnold and he could he could make you laugh he could make you fear him he could make you like pump your fist like yeah like everybody loved arnold and he did have a long time to get through like people just accept it now but back then there was a lot of things about his acting and they made like i mean the simpsons even have mcbain based off of arnold schwarzenegger yeah that you know that was based off making fun of him not ha- not being able to break his accent. That was a thing back then that we don't really talk about now. It's just kind of a you know what it is, but we didn't care. He was awesome. Yeah. You mean like how there was a uh, what a, a grizzled New York cop in End of Days with an Austrian accent? Right, yeah, we just didn't care. Right. It was just like, well, it's Arnold. I buy it. Arnold at one point in the late '80s was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. For being Arnold. Yeah. I mean, you, you you had, you know, this is like 86, 87 or so. You know, you're talking Jordan. You're talking Magic and Bird are still playing the game because the Lakers win the finals in 87. Um, the Celtics won it in 86. You know? So they're like, you're in the prime of that. And Arnold's on the cover. A retired seven-time Mr. Olympia just because Arnold's going to sell your magazine. Yeah. <laughs> right. <clears throat> well, he was I mean, just like this crazy, ridiculous icon, and like a lot of this movie is almost like Arnold Schwarzenegger fan fiction. It's just what people imagine the amount of strength that he has. It is preposterous. He rips an entire car seat out with his bare hands. Yeah, he yeah. rips a lock with his bare hands. Just he just crushes it, just yanks it off. Like no, no, you're still just a man. You're commando, not cyber commando. A little, like, it is a little ridiculous. You know, like, it's awesome and ridiculous. But the funniest yeah. thing that he struggles with or to show is when he puts his truck in neutral to push it down the hill. I'm like, come on, dude. It was, I, you know it didn't take that much strength to do that. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Like, like, I think I could do that. Like, yes. Like, come on, man. No, that, uh, all those things. But. Oh, by, by the way. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone uses seatbelt in this movie at all. <laughs> like, right. but I was watching him like go down the hill using that car as like a s- armored sled, bouncing around like crazy. No seatbelt. Why would he need a seatbelt? He knows he's going to crash. Why wouldn't you buckle up? And all these classic cars, no seatbelt. Right. I want to say this. So the last half hour of this movie is just nonstop. It's the finale. Like, I was, yeah. I was oh, like, yeah. holy crap. And it moves, and it's quicker. And I'll tell you what, this last half hour is better than, and you can come at me, Norris bros, better than Chuck Norris' career highlight reel. It's that awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. There's so yeah. many, oh, so many explosions in this movie. Like, it was, Wow. So great. There was like one part where like he set up the explosions like in the two buildings. It was and everything just like blew up all at once. 
and it's like I like I watched it tonight and I said shit like as soon as it happened I could not believe it's so awesome <laughs> I've seen this movie so many times every time though just whoa yeah. yeah and I love the in between before the finale they give us two scenario two bad guys to build around played by notable actors where you get the first uh, you get uh, David Patrick Kelly who uh, you know from the Warriors and Twin Peaks and he's been in the John Wick movies now had a good career. But they have him as the little weasel guy that he hunts down. There's a big mall chase. There's a car chase. And he gets the classic part where he's like, you know, he first tells him at the airport, he's like, when, he's like I'm going to kill you last. You're funny. I'm going to kill you last. And then he goes, remember what I told you I'm going to kill you last? I lied. And that was like the big thing from this one. And David Patrick Kelly's great. And, you know, I noticed he's got like, he's like Defoe where he's got that perfect face for the Joker. But no one ever asked yeah. him to play him. Right. He does have a face that you just like you look at him and like, what a weasel. Yeah. You scuzzy piece of shit. Like even before he says anything, you just go, Hey, fuck you, man. There's <laughs> no way you there's no way I could stand being around you. He's great and everything. The crow, whatever. Oh, yeah. You know, he's just just excellent in that type of role. I mean, this is a really good cast. I mean, we made mm-hmm. fun of, of Bennett, but you know, you've got Bill Duke and you've got Mm-hmm. You know, you've got really convincing people. <laughs> yeah, and Bill Duke must have went well. Because, I mean, they have that fight se- that fight in the hotel room yeah. that's awesome. And, uh, yes. you know, him and Bill Duke would get back together for Predator just two years later. Like, it's... Yeah. yeah. And, that, that, that fight scene, guys, how can... Okay. There's so many there's so many gunshots in this scene. Cool, great, wonderful. They break through the wall because they have superhuman strength. Okay, that's been established. Great, whatever. There are people making a porn movie. They break through that window, <laughs> that, through that wall. Sorry. How are they still like do? There's gunfire in the next room. How are you still doing anything other than running for your life? You want to know why? Because they're professionals. Professionals. Oh yeah. <laughs> and were right? they filming a a female with dildo on male action? So if you be. look at their positioning. <laughs> Somebody was, was getting pegged. Absolutely, someone picked. Was directing it. Yeah, but but also like the camera, like they're covered under the blankets. I'm no porn director, but it seems to me if I were shooting porn, I'd want to see pornographic things, not just like, well, put the blanket on. You can assume what's happening. Maybe they were ducking yeah. for cover because of the bullets in the next room. That's you know right. what? May, maybe, but you yeah, know what? Kevlar hey, there's hot guys. There's gunfire. Pull up the blanket. Hot tip: a mattress might block a bullet better than a thin blanket i don't know whatever yeah. it's a they're like they probably realized they had no boobs in this movie yet so they were like <laughs> can they right. break through to the next room ray dong chong isn't gonna take anything yeah. off let's get some other someone from the valley in here ever take her top Dude, off take some guy there is be fine is there supposed to be chemistry between the two or are they just supposed to be friends fighting for the cause i <sighs> I don't know. I, I want to like, give the movie props that they can just do this together and not have any heat and just, hey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it may be a failed <laughs> connection or something just because. Yeah. Kind of how it felt. Like there was supposed to be sparks and then there was just no fire at all. <laughs> no. Like, ah, forget it. Let's it's just, like, they're just she, friends. She works like it's his kid that came on when, came on the mission with him. Like that's kind of how it yeah. plays. There, there's a. It's funny that you mentioned that because there are some weird elements to 
I think the eighties action movies that we've been talking about, like the weird role of, of women yeah, <laughs> who mm-hmm. are there to be rescued or there to be like occasional, somewhat ineffectual sidekicks. And it's very weird with Arnold because you have this progression of, of women that are slowly more interested in him as the movies go along. Right. <laughs> like Catherine Harold and raw deal. And then, Maria Kachita Alonso and the Running Man. They don't really have a romantic relationship until like the very end. It's animated that they might begin a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. But I think that that was maybe like an acting limitation that they were just ignoring. I think they keep that, like, they like to keep Arnold very asexual. Like they mm-hmm. like here, yeah. he's got a kid, but he's got no wife. There's a woman in yeah. here, but there's no chemistry. The the funny one like in, in the Arnold this this the scene in Twins. When you have, like, he's changing and Kelly Preston is tilting the mirror further and further down. Like, the implication that, mm-hmm. oh, my God, Arnold is gigantic uh, <laughs> because she's taking... And, and it's the first time that he's, like, outside of Conan the Barbarian, where, you know, Conan has sex with Valeria, mm-hmm. that, that there's really any, like, acknowledgement of of that. You know what I mean? It's It's just kind of a funny... And it's weird Subject. when you go back and watch Conan, and he has that sex scene, and it's like, that's not Arnold. Arnold doesn't do <laughs> like he never. He's very well, there's, wholesome there's two, in his R-rated movies. The the like demon witch character, yeah. he's got like the abortive sex scene there before he throws her in the fire. Right. But <laughs> right, and then Conan too, nothing. No, not a bit. Well, it was that was rated PG, right? Oh the yeah, first it was. One was yeah, yeah, yeah. R, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. but like, yeah, his movies, he's very. And I mean, even. True Lies, there's, I mean, there's a, a lap dance scene where his wife doesn't even know it's him. Yeah. Like, uh, there were two women that wanted him in Total Recall, so... Oh, that's right, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Now, yeah. one was paid, I guess, kind of, but, but whatever, the fact is... <laughs> of course, one was also a hooker. Whatever, but the fact is, they both liked him. That's right. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, Commando... Um, yeah, he goes through the Bill Duke. Uh, they have the big finale, and then they save Bennett for last, which Bennett might be who he has the most chemistry with in the film. Oh, my God. It's the chain mail. And he's like, you can yeah. take the knife, Bennett, and you can stick it in me and look me in the eyes, watch it twist and turn. It's like, ooh. Anytime Bennett thinks about hurting John, it's like he's edging. The look in his eyes, just like, oh, oh, yes. Oh, I can't. Oh, oh, like he's going to like just explode once he kills John. And then he's like, well, that's the peak of my existence. <laughs> well, I'm going to kill you. Second guy from Frankie goes to Hollywood. <laughs> um. Commando. And it's just a simple cut dry movie, but it kind of capitalized on what first blood part two introduces. It's like, Hey, this is a thing now. Yeah, and we'll keep doing it, and then up from the ashes, you know, people find their own guys like that with Van Damme, with Seagal right away. Those guys get hit movies too. Willis kind of enters the mix, but nothing really follows in his vein too much, mm-hmm. um, unless you want to count like Keaton as Batman. But that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, but like, yeah, Willis brings a new factor and is with these guys, but he's got his own flavor. Van, yeah, Van Damme like, brings martial arts to it, but he never gets he he was you know Van Damme had a lot of hits and stuff, but he never got to the he was a household name, but never at the level of Stallone, Willis, or Schwarzenegger. Those were nobody touched those three. 
Right. And, you know, speaking of Chuck Norris again for a minute, you referenced him again. Chuck Norris had a series of action films in the 70s, which I don't think people contextualize a lot, you know, like going up to like the octagon and everything. But then in this 80s context, I've always felt like Chuck Norris is like wildly overrated, except for like Lone Wolf McQuaid. Um, Invasion USA. Yeah. It's very, very overrated. And he didn't have, I think that there was a thing of like the physical presence of, Stallone and Schwarzenegger, the bigger than life mm-hmm. actors and bigger than life movies, because, you know, simultaneously you have, you mentioned those guys and like, you know, Harrison Ford is also emerging as a different kind of action hero right. post yeah. solo. I mean, he's doing Indiana Jones still, but he's making these other movies like witness stuff, witnesses a drama, but it's definitely got action elements, particularly that ending and, you know, on up into Jack Ryan. Uh, I think, if anything, Willis kind of allowed the uninflated action heroes back in um, yeah. as you start mm-hmm. to see in the 90s. Because who's the first? Keanu, Keanu in yeah. the late 80s and, and Speed. Point Break. Point Break. And uh, then he'll have Speed take him to a whole nother level where oh. he just gets action. Yeah. The Swayze. Yeah, um, Swayze. Roadhouse 90, you know, kind of bridges the gap, too, between the – he's the martial arts guy, but he's also not physically inflated, but he's balletic. And, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, I guess those two come off of that as well. Yeah, that's true. That's what Willis ushers in, and Keanu's still going. It's so crazy. Oh, yeah. But, like, I think Norris and Bronson were kind of your B-level guys. They used to be A, and then yeah. when it, the 80s hit and these guys took over, they were still doing their thing, but it was at a b I mean, they were both with Canon Films, so obviously yeah. that's what they had to work but, with. But Norris also... And Bronson's the legacy guy. I mean, Bronson was in The Magnificent Seven and The Dirty Dozen. I mean, you can't take that away from yeah, Bronson. Yeah, Bronson was, like, finishing off his career with that stuff. Yeah. When, when he had already yeah. capitalized and was huge, and he was just... Not not slumming it, but he was just like, you know, he had been at his peak and was just having fun. Yeah. Norris just never – and I think part of Norris can really act. Uh, and he had, yeah. he, had a, he had a big fan base, but I think he became the cultural phenomenon more with Walker, Texas Ranger, and then people looking back after that. Yes. Um, so that was that was what they brought. Um, one thing I want to point out, like, score-wise, we haven't talked about the music for both these films, but <laughs> First Blood Part 2 – Feels like the cousin score to like the Terminator, the ki- the original Cameron one. Uh-huh. It's got that kind of grimy but kind of prestigious, and it catches. Like I could hum yeah. the Rambo theme. It's a, it's a reprise of the other one. Commandos, I don't think I can hum or pull up anything, but it's got a really energetic, more wild score. The, the score, uh, the, the budget for steel drums and saxophone for Commando is through the roof. <laughs> Like, yeah. like, like when the movie starts, like, or when you uh, see Colonel John Matrix's home, they're in the woods and they're still like playing like steel drum music. Like, okay, steel drums and evergreens don't seem to go together, but you know what? They said, "Fuck it, no, it's Commando, all steel drums all the time." And that's that's James Horner mm-hmm. that does Commando. So you're talking, you know, a history of things like Lord of the Rings and Titanic and. Braveheart and Avatar and you know I mean this guy's right. done these massive cruel for Christ's sake uh, <laughs> and, yeah and Jer- Jerry uh, Goldsmith does Commando mm-hmm. um, which you know Star Trek 
theme and all that stuff. But he's he's much more of a prestigious I mean, composer. Rambo. Yeah, Jerry Goldsmith says Rambo. So he's much more. He's been doing that traditional thing for a long time. By the time he gets to Rambo. Yeah. And and the end credits song I gotta give oh, to Commando. Yes. But God, yes. Because Rambo's like, it's like no, no, nope. The song is "Peace in Our Life," written by you guessed it, Frank, Frank Stallone. Stallone. Yes. Frank Stallone. Someone called Norm McDonald. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Um, I didn't see who wrote. Like the theme to Commando, but I, I assumed it wasn't Ted Schwarzenegger. <laughs> oh, before I forget, um, I, I do want to point out. Sometimes you're you're reminded, you know, not just of certain things within films of the technology and so forth that ground it to a particular era, but Commando does have a very very early Boy George joke. Oh yeah, it does. We should call him Girl George. Yeah. And then he's chastised by his daughter for making that joke. And I thought, you know, that same conversation could happen between Arnold and Melissa Milano now. Right. Uh, <laughs> ah, ah. It's like, it, but, it's like uh, in Goldfinger when James Bond says the Beatles are better heard with earmuffs. Yep. Like, yeah. oh, you square. Are you guys aware of the box office numbers for both movies? I know that um, Rambo was ridiculous. I know that it was... It had some kind of crazy opening. It went like north of 300 or something like that. Didn't it? Which one do you think did better at the box office? Uh, Rambo, for sure. I'm going to say Commando did better. Rambo, by a huge country mile. Uh, it did $150 million in the U.S. and 300 <laughs> worldwide, which in today's dollars gets it close to a billion. Commando, Commando, surprisingly... Thirty-five million in the U.S., fifty-seven million worldwide. It was it? It was a big hit because it didn't cost much at the time. It was like ten mm-hmm. million, but I was like, wow! I was surprised by how low. But that's still a big hit. We we think things like not every movie hit a hundred million back then. Like, <laughs> yeah, thirty-five million was like sweet. Let's make two more of these. You know, yeah. uh, a, a movie didn't have to have a higher number than the GDP of some countries right, yeah. for it to be successful. Yeah, 57, that was huge back then, and today's numbers is big, uh, looks good, but uh, they're both big hits. But yeah, it, Rambo Part 2 was, it, First Blood Part 2 was a phenomenon, and it continued a trend of like big summer movies opening, like, because uh, it was May, uh, the year before, you know, like Ghostbusters was huge. Uh, I forget what was the, uh, I think. Was it Temple of Doom was the year before that? Like, movies are just... Yeah, Temple of Doom was 84. But that was, yeah, that was a big deal. I need to get into the isolation area. Okay. Good. That's a favor. I sometimes favors hurt. Really? See what you can do. All right. (laughs) (laughs) You hit like a vegetarian. Try this. Now we'll move on to the big choice to be made with the rating in this episode. Uh, It's a versus episode, so you'll have to make your choice of the two movies we discussed and state your case for the one you choose. So, Troy, do you choose Rambo, First Blood, Part 2, or Commando? Um, As tempting as it would be to say I'm going Commando for the joke, I will say... Rambo, First Blood Part Two, and I I think it's a better film from top to bottom, 
And I think that it's trying to accomplish a lot of different things. And I think it does some things in a really interesting way, aside from being like a really well-made action movie. Cullen. Uh, I've been going back and forth on this because I, I love both of these movies so, so much. I'd also like to point out that uh, the kill counts for these action movies, uh, Rambo, I got counted at 62. <laughs> and I didn't even try with Commando. I just knew a friend, my friend Brian, I know he had watched it and he counted. He got 93. You, you don't know how many people are in those houses he blows up either. At the yeah, end. Exactly. That yeah. that's like accounting for that, like like you know, like a person or two like, per building. Because I mean, come on, let's get real. There's no way every building is going to be empty. So, like this this is a, a a strong approximation. But like that's just yeah. that's re- like the movie is 90 minutes, 93 kills. Anyway, both are fantastically entertaining. Uh, I think Rambo has more to say than Commando. Rambo, you know, there's 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 no fat there at all. Commando, there's not really fat, but there's just a lot of cracks. Or not even just cracks, just like parts where you're like, this is ridiculous. This is a movie, and I can't stop watching it. Um, so, yeah. like, like, rewatchability is a big factor for me, and Commando is just something I'm going to watch a whole lot more than uh, Rambo, just because I mean, Rambo is awesome, but when you think about it, it is a bit, bit of a downer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, like Commando is just endlessly entertaining and and ridiculous. That's why I, I'm not. I'm not. This is just personal preference. I'm not saying what's a better film. I'm just saying Commando gets my vote. Brandon, what it, what what is your decision in this battle of the titans? This is really hard. I, I the first time we did versus episodes, and not like we do them all the time, as we've mentioned, but it was pretty easy. Uh, my choice is pretty secure. I'm back and forth on this. It's really hard. I think, I honestly think, film-wise, First Blood Part Two is the better film, uh, just all around. It, it's uh, probably it's better script, character work, drama's better. But Commando's so fun. Commando <laughs> is just a blast. It moves. It's funny. People smile in Commando. There's not one person smiles in. First Blood Part Two, maybe Charles Napier for seconds, but you don't count his asshole smile yeah. as a smile. And Martin Cove <clears throat> maybe grins, but it's really tough. I like both both guys were heroes of mine growing up watching movies. The Planet Hollywood trio, I love those guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but gosh, Commando's got the one-liners. Rambo has one-liners too. Gosh, it's really tough to pick. Easier to sit down with. Both you know popcorn stuff. Uh, is Commando for sure, but to have an in-depth conversation about things, definitely First Blood Part 2. Uh, is it obvious I can't make my decision? Uh, <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. I don't know what to do, and it's on me. I'm going to I'm gonna let down one of my heroes. Let's see here. I, but... the, the, the thing about this is it's a life-altering decision, and no one can ever recover if they make the I wrong one. I destroy my Blu-ray of the one I don't choose after this. That's what the, yeah, no. I, I, I will tell you this. I picked Commando. I don't own Commando. I own <laughs> all of the Rambo movies, but I picked Commando. <laughs> He's going to try to throw us off and pick Rambo 3 or something. Yeah. My, no one picks Rambo 3. My choice no, no, is stop or my mom will shoot. Not even the Taliban picks Rambo 3. Yeah. <laughs> 
The Taliban's like, we we took Rambo from you too. Ha 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 ha. Uh, okay. And James Bond. But man, I'm gonna have to go with the one I'd quickly any mood I could probably watch Commando. That's fair. But I I wanna reiterate, I think First Blood Part Two is a better film. But just to pick up, watch, and feel good after getting the same kind of action thrills and a bit more f- right off the bat and frequent, it's Commando. Though I, it's you know I'm picking it, but oddly there's all the same factors that they have. I think First Blood does do a bit better, but I'm gonna go with I can watch Commando in any mood. And I also with First Blood Part Two, I may prefer to watch First Blood instead. I know Commando doesn't have that, but I could be like, well, I'd watch Terminator instead of Commando. I think it's kind of a central Arnold to see. It's up there with, you know, uh, Terminator, Predator, uh, Total Recall. I think Commando's the one you have to see for the pure action launching point into things he does. Which That's the thing with Arnold that he does that Stallone really doesn't, is he goes into a lot of, like, sci-fi action territory uh, that, you know, Stallone yeah. was more uh, the grounded with his action movies. Arnold went to space right away. <laughs> you know, he, he is. You know, we talked about the larger than life thing. I mean, he does fit that mold. I mean, he came into Conan. A lot of people regarded it as a comic book movie because the Marvel comics Conan, Barry Winter Smith, and everything was so popular at the time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, you know, they knew Conan might be like a book character or whatever, but they, they associated him with the comic book thing to begin with. Yeah. And so then Terminator, you know, he was very natural in that kind of stuff. I mean, he was just, from the beginning, he, he played a larger-than-life character, so he fit the fantasy and science fiction context. Uh, and we forget, too, way that, Arnold's a movie geek as well. He's well-versed in things, and yeah. he has an eye for cinema. He worked with James Cameron a lot, which can tell you what he knows and what he learns, and you can just sort of see. I mean, he started a Tales from the Crypt episode. That's awesome. Yeah. And he just, you see muscle and you think the asshole guy that picked on you in high school, but these guys are geeks getting, you know, they just like to lift weights to take care of their bodies too. Um, But they are very well versed in cinema and you could have a long conversation about movies and movie history with any of them. Something made me think, so I I looked it up to, to share here. You were mentioning like when Commando opened and so forth. And I'm like, what, what was going on? You guys aren't going to believe <laughs> this. Just to, to put it in context, I'm not going to read every movie that opened within proximity here. But August of 1985, to kind of like when Commando opened. Okay. August 2nd, 85, you had Fright Night and Weird Science opening on the same day. Wow. Real Genius opens a few days later, followed a few days later by My Science Project and Pee Wee's Big Adventure. August wow. 16th, Return of the Living Dead. And Year of the Dragon with uh, Mickey Rourke. August 23rd, Better Off Dead, a re-release of Ghostbusters, Godzilla 85, and Teen Wolf. All open on the same damn day. That's a hell of a A month for genre lovers. A week later, American Freaking Ninja. (laughs) After Hours, September 13th, Invasion USA opened one week before Commando. Oh, wow. Commando opened the same day as Jacket Edge. With uh, Glenn Close and Jeff Bridges, followed a week later by Remo Williams' Adventure Begins in Silver Bullet, followed a week later by Reanimator, 
And then November 1st, Death Wish 3 and Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and To Live and Die in L.A. open on the same goddamn day. <laughs> Jeez. Um, I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> I, I wonder what people, like, wow. are people even going to look back at the, the, the years we're living and go, can you imagine when those open? And be like, yeah, yeah. But I feel like we now only have, like, one to two memorable ones that may have opened close to each other. Yeah, uh, First Blood Part 2 opens uh, the same day as the limited release of A View to a Kill. Okay. Um, which goes wide a couple weeks later, but it's also uh, a week before Fletch. The week after that is The Goonies. And on June 21st was Cocoon, followed by Pale Rider and St. Elmo's Fire and Back to the Future in succession. Two weeks after that. And Back to the Future is only in a week before Mad Max Beyond Thunder. Jesus. 80s was such a crazy... I mean, you look at any weekends in the 80s, you're like, those all were playing at the same time? Or opening the same weekend? That shit crazy. Yeah, Yeah, Day Day of the Dead opens the same day that they re-released E.T. in theaters. (laughs) I will say, Day of the Dead was not likely playing in Hawkins, Indiana in 1985. I will say that. Just put that out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it it was in Terre Haute, but probably not in Hawkins. (laughs) That movie barely played anywhere that summer, but... Uh... Well, like we talked about before, I think, you know, in the first season where Will's older brother has the earnest conversation with him about the Smiths, mm-hmm. that record wasn't out in America, so he was the most plugged in, uh, yes. you know, old 1984, because they made that first EP and album in 84, but it was not out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is, you know... I can understand somebody really wants to get their reference in, but that kind of thing always sticks out to me like a giant sore thumb, you know. Yeah. I, I recently read a review. Uh, the Onion AV Club's been doing a series on romantic comedies, and they did oh, yeah, a big yeah, yeah, article yeah. on The Wedding Singer. And that review of The Wedding Singer finally made me feel good about The Wedding Singer, which is a movie I actually liked, but it drives me nuts because it's one of those movies that makes the 80s all take place all at once. It plays like a commercial for a decade rather than <laughs> living in the decade. Yes! And there was just something about that review that's like the the movie is equally a love letter to the eighties and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I can kind of see that. Yeah. But you know, it does drive bonkers. That... Well, it's like stranger <laughs> things, which I love. It's still like, I'm like, Oh yeah. You remember when we all had screen accurate costumes for the ghostbusters back in sure. the day, we got like a mask uh, and a shirt that had like a logo on it that said, yep, you're a ghostbuster. Yeah. My mom wouldn't yeah. even buy me the right jumpsuit. She had to buy me something like a knockoff. Yeah. Oh, well, what what was the company that did the plastic Halloween costumes with the plastic mask? I can't remember, um, but that was, guys... yeah, I had the, I those were the stupidest yeah. things, but that was all we had. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you're Frankenstein well, monster. You have the mask, and then you have this schmock thing that has a logo on it. Well... You know, hell, superhero logo T-shirts were not widely available yeah. out under ruse until freaking Keaton, Burton, Nicholson, Batman came right. out. I mean, yeah, there's the way you could do it. You do it the Stranger Things way where you just are a big advertisement for everything that was popular of that era. Or you do it the glow way where it's like not flashy, might brush a thing. It's just it is the setting. So it, and it's pretty accurate. Yeah. Both are fun. Yeah. It, but. I just think it's interesting to look at the context of when these movies came out, and they're just literally, they're classics dropping every weekend, or movies that we regard as classics. Mm -hmm. 
That was the eighties. Yeah. They were they were I mean the movies bumped up. I mean you got a lot more coming out every week and they yeah, we uh, every movie it feels like every wide release movie impacted a large number of people to some way that they held on to it. Yeah. So do you guys think related to this the big action movies we we talk about we mentioned Unforgiven, but like you've got Unforgiven and Reservoir Dogs coming out both in 92. Do you think that movies that started showing the realistic consequences of violence killed the big action movie? Not, not right there because you'll still have a good run with it. I mean, you still have huge movies like Die Hards with a Vengeance, Goldeneye. There's still lots of those, those big are ones. ongoing franchises, though. I mean, those are. Those are still happening. It's like, oh, we're going to do a third Die Hard as opposed to new original action movies. I mean, mean, Arnold still has his stuff going. Uh, Van Damme goes strong till Street Fighter. Seagal loses his mind and nobody cares for him anymore. But it's the superhero movie that starts to take off, even though it goes in a weird direction. I don't know, like, because you have Keanu doing, like, Chain Reaction Stuff like that. They try to do Christian Slater as an action yeah, star. But they're less like one guy killing a whole uh, army. Oh, yeah, yeah, people. yeah. That starts to go away. <laughs> it starts to be a wisecracker stuck in a situation trying to cleverly get out of it with stealthy action. Yeah. The grim stuff, I don't know when that comes through. I know it, things start to change when, you know, uh, not born identity, but born supremacy comes. Uh-huh. And you know, Paul Greengrass, he can run the what they call the shaky cam quite well, but the yeah. imitators don't understand how to operate that. And then we get a lot of crappy action movies and that becomes the aesthetic for quite a while. You all, you also have the matrix changing things with the, bull, yeah, the that's bullet. 99. Time. Yeah, you've got that, that has a staple on things. I think things don't start to turn a corner. You get uh, to like the raid John, oh, yeah. John Wicks really brought things back to a more choreographed thing rather than shaking the shit out of the camera or right. in post-production. Really awesome. Yes. You get the Taken stuff, but Taken even gets into that yeah. shaky shit with the sequels. Take cinnamon sense of uh, John Wick. They just savage uh, Taken with uh, Liam Neeson mm. jumping over the fence. <laughs> it, it, it's... Like, what? You really don't need 30 takes of a person to jump over a fence? Watch. And, like, all the cuts of Liam Neeson jumping over the fence at one point. It's, like, 15 shots composited and him jumping over the fence. Well, you you also get the um, Justin Lin Fast Five onward with the the -the over-the-top tongue-in-cheek action that's actually shot well. So that's a thing. Fast Five is the Empire Strikes Back of Fast and the Furious. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> one of the best action movies of the decade. They've, and they keep going, try to, trying to replicate that, which that's fine. Other movies should. It's well made. I don't know how Justin Lin... I don't know. I liked his Star Trek movie. I thought it was badass. Mm-hmm. Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, he's a guy that you should have. James Wan, uh, when allowed yeah. to, uh, when he does action movies, is quite good at it. But, yeah, that's the kind of thing. We're getting back to having people who know how to film it interestingly rather than just, yeah, we'll fix it in post. Well... And I think that there's definitely an element of, and, and this is one of the things that helped superhero movies get immeasurably better, is that you had people that grew up on the material mm-hmm. that had a desire to make movies like that, and they learned the craft of making movies like that. And with superhero films, it really took the special effects catching up to where you could do it. Yeah. And it could be way, but 
these guys also grew up on the same movies we're talking about. Right. They grew up on comics. They grew up on the 80s action and horror movies. And now they're starting to make that stuff. Oh, well, well, yeah. I forgot. Um, Tim Miller did the, the first Deadpool. He's pretty good. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, the, yeah, they bring the John one of the John Wick guys in to do Deadpool 2. Right. And then I think James Mangold's actually pretty good, too, with uh, yeah. Logan, the stuff I've seen with him. Logan, Logan. the Wolverine, 3-5-D, three, three, uh, Yuma. And uh, I think, yeah. I bet Ford vs. Ferrari's going to have some really sweet car coverage on that movie but yeah he's pretty good too he's gone across genres doing things yeah well i I, it's funny you mentioned john wick because a lot of those guys were the the writer and the directors you know the two directors of john wick because the one is uncredited you know the Mm -hmm. uncredited dude his name escapes me is the one that makes atomic blonde yeah 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 but both those guys worked on second unit stuff on the captain america movies and yeah (laughs) you know the, the aesthetic is is suffused and across genre stuff that you know it's it's out there in a big way mm-hmm. and that's people respond to it people like watching it yeah and they have a and, whole um there's like a whole warehouse they have that like they practice action sequences at and like choreography and m- moving cameras through uh different areas and stuff to get good coverage like they 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 did a for I think the first John Wick, they did like a press tour junket thing where they let the press people, you know, go through an action sequence and filmed it with them so they could have their own little like action demo reel for things. That was part of their press junket um, where they, you know, gave them a gun with That's blanks easy. and they, you know, got to fake punch people and, and stuff like that. It was, and it, they'd show that, and a lot of them shared their video. And it was, I mean, a bunch of nerd doofuses walking around. Acting like a badass, it actually looked kind of cool. <laughs> well, who was? <clears throat> oh, he, he, Chad Stileski. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, he, uh, he, his best friend was Brandon Lee. Okay. And he was also he was actually on the uh, set of the crow. He worked on it, and you know he is became religious about safe but also effective action sequences, which is part of his whole aesthetic but it's interesting that you have that drive part of what becomes this guy's kind of technical expertise and technical perfection that we see in this new wave of action films because uh, you know as like colin pointed out i mean those explosions were real Mm -hmm. (laughs) they were were really blowing shit up speaking of speaking of brandon lee we need to do uh Showdown Little Tokyo, bring Mark Lester back and Dolph back, and there we go. Some more fun. And Tia Carrera and her stand-in for her boobs. Yeah, so their body double, yeah. As a writer, I love the written word. As a member of our society, I depend on it. We all do, in countless ways every day. To someone who can't read the instructions on a job application, the label on a medicine bottle, the information and entertainment in books are all out of reach. Next time you're in a bookstore enjoying your ability to read... Give a little to share that gift with the millions who can't read. Your change can change your life. Give the gift of literacy. On the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing Legend of the Werewolf from 1975, starring Peter Cushing. And joining us for discussion will be Russell McGee of Big Finish fame, making his triumphant return to the show. Uh, As always, uh, thanks to Troy. Thank you for coming on once again. And uh, just tell us where people can find your stuff. I am writing full-time for the Saturday Evening Post. 
And I have my web comics at sparkshooter.com and other places. And uh, keep an eye out at both those spots. And you can follow me on Twitter at Troy Brownfield because I have more writing and other things coming up soon. All right. Well, exciting. We look forward to next time. But first, stay tuned for the trailer to Legend of the Werewolf, the trailer that actually trails. cycle started again last night. Good boy. Good boy. Thank you for listening to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, part of the Creative Zombie Studios Network. Follow CC Cavalcade on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to the show on cultcinemacavalcade.com, iTunes, and anywhere podcasts are found. For press opportunities, advertising opportunities, and more information on Cult Cinema Cavalcade, contact mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com. Produced by Brad Shoemaker. Edited by Brandon Peters. Narration by Rebecca Peters. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf appears courtesy of the freemusicarchive.org network. The film and music featured in this episode are part of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Join us again in two weeks for a new episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade. Yo, no, 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 no,